The book of Proverbs is full of wise sayings and teachings. It was meant to provide guidance and instruction for living wise and righteous lives, dealing with topics like money, relationships, faith, and parenting. In this series, we will draw from Proverbs and the wisdom it has to give us about our hearts. Join us as we look at the wisdom for all of our hearts, helping make us live life a little bit lighter. All right. Good morning, church. Good to see you all today. So that's the second time I, I've, I've seen that, uh, the bumper video before the sermon. And this is probably not what I was supposed to get out of it. But is it a stereotype that ministers wear expensive shoes? Because I've got on slip-on Skechers. So I am really uh, messing up that stereotype if it is. But so anyway, we are in uh, week two of our sermon series, Heart to Heart. And so we're looking at some different passages from the book of Proverbs. And uh, so last week, Pastor Robbie stole one of my favorite Proverbs to speak about, to talk about, Proverbs 4.23. Uh, and the NIV, NIV version that I memorized it in, uh, Proverbs 4.23 said, Above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. And I can't emphasize enough to reemphasize what Pastor Rob talked about, how important it is for you all to be protecting your heart, to be careful about the things that you let into your heart and in your mind on a daily basis. Uh, if you remember the bumper video from last week, I don't know many of you, if you remember it, if you were parents, um, I'll be honest with you, Christina and I were the parents who made our kids put their phones in the kitchen at night. Uh, I, I didn't know too many other parents that were doing that at the time. Um, <clears throat> but if I had little kids that had phones, I guarantee you they would be in the kitchen at night. And so anyway, protecting our hearts. And so in this series, we're looking at a couple other different things that relating to the heart. Pastor Rob's going to be talking about a cheerful heart. Pastor Rob's going to be talking about a trusting heart. But, you know, he called me into his office last Monday, and this is John. I asked something that you're going to speak on this. I really need you to speak on this. But I, I'm going to have you speak on this just because I know, I know that you will completely understand this topic. Okay? Like, I think you, you, you will understand this topic really well. Uh, so I want you to speak about a selfish heart. Okay, so just so you guys know, that conversation did not really happen. But I did find it interesting that on a sermon series, we're talking about protecting our heart, a cheerful heart, and uh, a trusting heart that he gave me a selfish heart, okay? It wouldn't be me preaching if I didn't complain about what Pastor Rob gave me to preach about. So anyway, <clears throat> so today we're talking about a selfish heart or a prideful heart. And I've said this many times before, so I apologize if you've heard it, but many of you probably don't remember me saying it, so it's okay. But it seems so appropriate to me that in the word pride, the center letter, there's five letters in the word pride that the center letter in pride is I. Because that isn't that what pride is all about? Pride is saying, I want what I want. I don't care what's good for everybody else. I, it's all about me. It's all about I, all right? It's also appropriate that's also the center letter in the word sin, Okay, because pride is a sin, and actually all of our sin comes back to this idea of pride. If you watch that video, the pride of saying, listen, I know that God should be on the throne. I know that God should be in charge of what I'm doing, but God, you, you just get off of there, and I'm going to sit on the throne, okay? And so pride and sin, it's all about I, what I want, what's best for me. And so when the Bible talks about pride, it talks about us being arrogant, 
It talks about us being self-centered. It's when we have too high a regard for ourselves. Now listen, this is what it isn't. It isn't when you've worked really hard and there's a sense of satisfaction that something has gone well. That's a different kind of pride. Or you're watching your children do something and you've got this welling up in your, in your, in, inside of you as you see them doing something. That's, not, that's a different kind of pride altogether. That is not what we're talking about today. There's nothing wrong with that. Uh, in his book, Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis said this about pride. He said, according to Christian teachers, the essential vice, the utmost evil is pride. Unchastity, anger, greed, drunkenness, and all that are mere flea bites in comparison. It was through pride that the devil became the devil. Pride leads to every other vice. It is a complete anti-God state of mind. It is pride which has been the chief cause of misery in every nation and every family since the world began. Let me read that last sentence again. It is pride which has been the chief cause of misery in every nation and every family since the world began. Think about this for a moment. Just about all of our problems in the world would go away if we got rid of our pride. Think about it. Wars are fought because you have something and I want it. Okay? Wars are fought because one country has something, another country wants it, and so they go to war and fight over it. People and businesses, they take advantage of people because they're more concerned about their pocketbook or their bottom line than they are the welfare of the people around them. Husbands and wives fight because one spouse, or sometimes it's both, are more concerned about what they want than what is best for them as a unit. Relationships are destroyed. Because one person is selfish or arrogant and isn't concerned about what's best for the other person. And so sometimes homes are in shambles just because of one person's pride and arrogance. And I want what I want and it doesn't matter what everybody else wants or what's good for everybody else. And I know this is crazy to think about, but think about how amazing, what a wonderful place this world would be if we all stopped acting so prideful. If we all stopped acting in, in our own best interest, and we started being concerned about what's in the best interest of the people around me, the world around me, what's best for everyone. And so this morning, instead of looking like last week, Pastor Rob looked at one proverb, Proverbs 4.23, man, there are so many verses on pride and humility in the book of Proverbs, I couldn't stop at one. Okay? As a matter of fact, this is so important. I mean this. I mean this with all my heart. If you don't hear anything that I say this morning, that is okay if you absorb what the book of Proverbs says about pride, all right? You, you could just, well, I'm not going to tell you to ignore me. Don't do that. But like if you don't remember anything else, remember what Proverbs says about pride. If you didn't get a bulletin, I would encourage you, if you didn't get one, grab one on your way out because all these scripture references are in there. This week, take some time and look through these verses on your own and just see what the Bible is saying about pride, all right, let's start. <clears throat> Proverbs 8, verse 13. It says, to fear the Lord is to hate evil. I hate pride, arrogance, evil behavior, and perverse speech. Listen, you don't hear God talking in the Bible like that very often. There aren't a lot of times you hear him talking about things that he hates. And yet he says that he hates pride and arrogance. Proverbs 11, verse 2 says, when pride comes, then comes disgrace. But with humility comes wisdom. 
Proverbs 16, verse 18, pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. Proverbs 18, 12, before a downfall, the heart is haughty, but humility comes before honor. Proverbs 26, 12, do you see a person wise in their own eyes? There is more hope for a fool than for them. What a great passage. Do you see a person wise in their own eyes? There is more hope for a fool than for them. Proverbs 29, verse 23, pride brings a person low, but the lowly in spirit gain honor. In Proverbs 16, 5, the Lord detests all the proud of heart. Like, I don't ever want to be in a category that the Lord detests. You know, like when it talks about the Lord hating something, the Lord detesting something, that is not a category I want to find myself in. But it says the Lord detests all the proud of heart. Be sure of this, they will not go unpunished. And so as I read from these passages, I hope you saw a pattern in them. And so we read that God hates pride. We read that with pride comes, and it's almost like Rick Warren wrote this sermon, because all those verses in Proverbs, several of them had D words that were the bad ones. Okay? He says with pride comes disgrace, destruction, and a downfall. It says with, with pride comes being brought low. And the last, like I said, the last proverb we read talks about how God detests the proud of heart. And ultimately, we read that this says that God will punish the proud. What more do we really need, to, really need to, to read about? What more do we need to hear that pride is an issue? Pride is a problem in our lives. Like, if we're sitting here today, now the reality is we all struggle with pride, don't we? Like, if you're sitting in here today and you're saying, I don't struggle with pride, you got a problem. All right, Because pride is something that each and every one of us struggles with every day. We have to decide each and every day that we're going to put other people's needs ahead of our own. We need to decide every single day that we're going to put God's ways in front of our ways. Each and every day, like that video showed, we have to decide that we're going to let God be on the throne where he should be instead of us sitting there. So that's something that we all battle with. And you know the Bible... We could have looked at a million different illustrations of this because the Bible is filled with people who struggle with pride. The Bible is filled with people that struggle with putting themselves first. But I have something really exciting today. We are going to cover an entire book of the Bible. How many of you are excited about covering an entire book of the Bible? All right. <clears throat> Some of you aren't truthful, okay? Uh, because my first thought, I'll just be honest with you. If I, was, if I was sitting down there and the preacher said, hey, we're going to cover an entire book of the Bible, I'd be like, how long are we going to be here? Okay. I would not be all that excited about that prospect. But one of the great things about the Bible, in the Bible there's four books. There's four books that are so, long, or so short that I would say they don't even have a chapter in them. Okay. They're just like a letter. They're just a short little letter. Now, most of them are in the New Testament. Second John, Third John, and Jude are all just like that. All right? But there's one book in the Old Testament. There's one book in the Old Testament that I call a one-chapter wonder. And it is the book of Obadiah. It's so short. Like I said, I don't, even, I don't even know what the right way to say it is. When I say go to Obadiah, do I say Obadiah 1? Or do I just say go to Obadiah? I asked Pastor Rob. Both of us were just as clueless. Okay? So I'm not sure what the right answer is. But we're going to be looking at the book of Obadiah today. How many of you didn't even know the book of Obadiah was in the Old Testament? Okay, there's a few. There were a few people at the first service that said, I didn't know that was even in there. Well, in fairness to you, like in my Bible, the book of Obadiah doesn't even get its own page. 
Okay, so like it shares the last page of Amos with the starting of Obadiah, and it shares the second half of it with the starting of Jonah. So it doesn't even get the respect of its own page. All right, so if you have your Bible, go ahead and open it up to the book of Obadiah. And I've already kind of helped you out there. It's in the Old Testament. It's right in between the books of Amos and Jonah. And really, the book of Obadiah, it's a judgment on the people of Edom. Okay, Obadiah has been given this vision from the Lord, and it's a judgment about the people of Edom. Now, you probably don't know who the Edomites are, but they were descendants of Esau. Esau had a brother. Everybody know who Esau's brother was? Anybody know? Okay, Jacob. That's right. Jacob and Esau, they were brothers. And if you remember, they were brothers. Their, their father was Isaac. Isaac was the son of Abraham. And so when it comes to the Edomites and the people of Judah that are talked about in the book of Obadiah, they're basically cousins, okay? They're relatives, they're cousins. And if you know the story of Jacob and Esau, you know it's a, str- a story of struggle. Like some of you are sitting here today and you have difficult siblings, okay? Like I don't want you to raise your hands, but I know some of you have difficult siblings to deal with. I have a few of my own, of which I hope none of them heard me say that right now online, <laughs> But anyway, Jacob and Esau, man, they had some real issues. Okay, so like if you read the book in the book of Genesis, in Genesis chapter 25, when Jacob and Esau are being born, Esau is coming out first. They're twins, and so Esau is coming out first. And if you remember the story, what is Jacob doing? Jacob was holding on to his heel, okay? I don't know why Jacob was holding on to Esau's heel. Maybe he was saying, oh, I'm going to miss you. Where are you going? I don't know. Maybe that's what it was. Hey, but it was more likely he's sitting there going, no, not you. Let me be first. Okay? I don't know why. But we read that Esau is holding on to Jacob as Jacob comes out first. And that's probably the nicest thing that Jacob ever did to Esau. Because if you were to continue to read their story in Genesis chapters 27 and 28, you know Jacob not only steals his brother's blessing, but he steals his brother's birthright. All right? And that was a big deal. Okay, so the birthright was like his inheritance. Jacob stole. He didn't, I guess, now some would say he didn't steal it. Okay, Esau sold it for like a bowl of soup. Okay, and so I, I would say Esau got a raw deal there. Okay, um, but, he, but he rips his brother off of his birthright. But then also there's a great story in, in, the, in the Old Testament about Jacob ripping off his brother's blessing with the help of their mother. Okay. And um, it, it, like I said, if you don't know that story, read it in Genesis chapter 27 and 28. Actually, to be honest with you, the Old Testament blessing, is, it's kind of something that's even kind of hard to understand. Because you read about it some in the Old Testament, and it's almost like this blessing was like a prophetic utterance of future blessing on their children that was going to happen. And, and so Esau, as the oldest, was going to get this blessing from his father, And Jacob basically deceives his blind father with the help of his mother to steal Esau's blessing. You can see why they might have some issues, right? You can see why they might not get along too well. And so so all this time, the reality is, over the course of years, God blesses both Jacob's family and he blesses Esau's family. Like, God blesses both of them. But eventually Judah is conquered by the Babylonians. And the Edomites, who are the, son, the people of Esau, they lived up in the hills. And when they saw their cousins being, being overrun, they didn't come and they didn't help them. 
All right, that's what you need to know. So if you have your Bibles, go to Obadiah chapter 1. Uh, I think the verses will be up here on the screen. And we're going to start in verse 1. It says, a vision of Obadiah. It says, this is what the sovereign Lord says about Edom. We've heard a message from the Lord. An envoy was sent to the nations to say, rise, let us go against her for battle. See, I will make you small among the nations. You'll be utterly despised. The pride of your heart has deceived you. You who live in the clefts of the rock and make your home on the heights. You who say to yourself, who can bring me down to the ground? Verse 4, one of my favorite verses. I memorized it with a buddy in high school. Don't ask me why. We, I, we don't even know why we memorized it. We didn't know what it meant. We just thought it sounded cool. Okay, so it says, though you soar like eagles and make your nest among the stars, from there I will bring you down, declares the Lord. And so the Edomites had been deceived because they were living up in the mountain area. And so they weren't the strongest people, but they were up there in the mountains and they thought that they could not be attacked. They could not be overtaken because of where they lived, where they were situated. And so on that day, when their cousins were being overrun, they sat up there in pride going, we're safe. Nothing's going to happen to us. We're okay because of where we are. Nothing's going to take us down. And so their first sin was their pride. And in verses 5 through 9, we were, if you were to read the verses 5 through 9, we read about some things that God says is going to happen to them. But then we pick it up in verse 10. It says, because of the violence against your brother Jacob, you'll be covered with shame. You'll be destroyed forever. On the day you stood aloof while strangers carried off his wealth and foreigners entered his gates and cast lots for Jerusalem, you were like one of them. You should not gloat over your brother in the day of his misfortune, nor rejoice over the people of Judah in the day of their destruction, nor boast so much in the day of their trouble. You should not march through the gates of my people in the day of their disaster, nor gloat over them in their calamity in the day of their disaster, nor seize their wealth in the day of their disaster. You should not wait at the crossroads to cut down their fugitives, nor hand over their survivors in the day of their trouble. The day of the Lord is near for all nations. As you have done, it will be done to you. Your deeds will return upon your head. So if you were to read through the prophets, both the major and the minor prophets, they're all pretty similar. People have disobeyed God and they're going to get punished. And that's what we're reading here in Obadiah. The Edomites didn't do what God thought they should do. And not only did they not do it, they, they did some really bad things to their cousins and God is going to punish them. And so Judah's attacked and they didn't help. But not only did they not help, but they celebrated as their family members were suffering. And not only did they celebrate and gloat as their family members were suffering, they, they cut down the fugitives and they took advantage of the survivors. They took whatever wealth was left behind. They harmed, like I said, they harmed the people that were left behind. And so again, their pride made them think that they were untouchable, but they weren't. And so God is telling them through Obadiah, you've done this, you're going to pay a price. You've done this, you're going to pay a price. And so as I read through the book of Obadiah, okay, and it only takes about a minute to read through the book of Obadiah, there's some things that I want to put, other than the subject of pride, which we'll get back to, there's a couple of things that I just want to remind you of that Obadiah tells us about. Obadiah reminds us of the justice of God. Obadiah reminds us of the justice of God. It's a reminder that, that God is going to hold the nation of Edom accountable for their behavior, but it should serve as a reminder to us that God will hold us accountable for our behavior. 
It's a reminder that even when things look bleak, God's justice will prevail. Like in this moment, as the book of Obadiah is being written, things are terrible for Judah. They've been overtaken by the Babylonians. But in the end, in the book, it tells us Edom is going to be wiped out. Like there's no hope for them. They're goners. But God is going to rescue Judah from their suffering. They will experience the justice of God if they just hang in there. And you know, this idea of the justice of God, it's both comforting to me and it's terrifying to me. It's comforting to me because I, I see so many situations where I wish God would just, you know, just take care of situations and take care of people. All right? Like I see that and I, and I see that on other people. But it's also terrifying because I also realize how many times it would me that's getting that, you know, in that moment. All right? And so this, this book is a reminder of God's justice. And I'm reminded, I'm painfully reminded of my own shortcomings. I'm painfully reminded of my own struggles and issues with pride in the battle that we all have. And so I find comfort in God's grace. But we also shouldn't for a second think that in God's grace, he won't let us experience the consequences of our poor choices. And so ultimately, Obadiah reminds us that we will reap what we sow. That's a biblical principle, both Old Testament and New Testament. We will reap what we sow. Secondly, Obadiah reminds us that instead of gloating over them or taking advantage of them, Obadiah reminds us that we ought to be taking care of the less fortunate. Okay, Obadiah reminds us that we ought to be taking care of the less fortunate. Judah was down. And instead of helping them, their cousins looked at them, laughed at them, mocked them, took advantage of them when they should have gone down there and helped them. You and I, we have been called to be compassionate people towards others, just as Jesus set us that example. As you read through the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, when you see him encountering people that were struggling, and you see him encountering people that were down and out, Jesus always came alongside those people and lifted them up. Okay, now there's a big difference. He's Jesus. Okay, there's a lot of things that Jesus did that you and I are not capable of doing. But the reminder for us is, you know, we need to come alongside people that are going through difficulties and do our best to help, do our best to comfort to lift them up. Now, I'll tell you this. I, I'm, you know, in our area, you see a lot of people on the street. Or you go into any store, you're constantly being asked for money and being asked for different things. And I may not have the right attitude, okay? I'm freely admitting this in front of all of you. I may not have the right attitude because I don't ever give people money like that, okay? I, I, used, to, I used to have a job where I would get up at 5.30 in the morning to go to work, and just about every day at about 5.45, I'd have someone at 7-Eleven asking me for money as I'm going in to get something to drink. And I would always be in my head just going, dude, where do you think I'm going right now? Like, I'm up this early, not because I want to be up this early, but I'm going off to, to go work to support my family. So again, this may be therapy for me. I may be admitting that I have a bad attitude about this stuff. Okay? So I, keep yourself quiet over there. <laughs> you do what you want to do about that. Okay, But what I would encourage you all to do is, you know what? There's a million great charities out there that do a lot of things to help people. And so as I, as I want to encourage us to, help, to remind us to take care of the less fortunate, my encouragement to you would be to find one of those charities and do something to help them. 
Maybe it's as simple as giving them money. But you know, not all of us have money to give away. So maybe it's volunteering your time, volunteering your expertise to help out. I want to encourage you guys to be compassionate, just like God was hoping the Edomites would be, and just like we saw in Jesus. The third thing I want to remind you of is, you know what, during those difficult times, we need to trust in God. Obadiah reminds us that during those difficult times that we need to trust in God. It's a denunciation of the Edomites, but there's also that little bit of hope that God isn't done with Judah, okay? And that God is going to rescue them, and that God is going to bring them back and is going to help them. That they're suffering right now, but God is going to do something to help them. And so our job during the times that challenge our faith is to hold on and to trust. Even when we don't see how God has a plan, even when we don't see how God is going to deliver us, our job is to trust and to hang on. Lastly, and this is really what the sermon is all about, is that Obadiah warns us against the sin of pride. They thought they were safe because of where they lived, that they couldn't be conquered. And God is saying, oh no, I got you guys. (laughs) He's like, you can't go far enough. I got you. And so it's, it's a warning to all of us about the danger of our pride. It warns us of thinking that we're better than anybody else because we aren't. Obadiah warns us about the danger of looking down on other people. These attitudes are going to lead, can lead to our own downfall. Uh, one person I read this week said this. says, when pride is knocking at your door, answer it with prayer. Ask God to humble you. Ask him to search your heart and reveal where you have let pride take over and ask that he would, through his power, help you destroy the grip of pride in your life. And then John Stott wrote, Pride is your greatest enemy. Humility is your greatest friend. So I want to briefly uh, remind you of the story that was in our bumper video this morning. In Luke chapter 8, starting at verse 9, he says this. says, "To To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everybody else, Jesus told this parable. So verse 9 is a little bit of commentary from Luke about this story. He's basically saying, hey, Jesus told this story to a bunch of people that were full of themselves. Jesus told this story because he's surrounded by a bunch of people who thought they were better than everybody else. And so Jesus told them this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself. God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. So before I read verse 14, I want you to think for a second, which one of the two characters in Jesus' short little story there do you identify with? Do you walk into church today saying, Lord, you are so lucky that I'm here. Okay, I'm here to bless you with my presence because I have it all together. And thank you that I am not like, you know, some of the people around me. All right? Is that, how, is that how you walked into church today? Or did you walk into church today saying, Lord, man, you know, <laughs> you and I know what's going on. Help me out. Okay? You and I know what's going on. Help me out. Because Jesus is talking to a bunch of people that are so confident in themselves. But then verse 14 says, I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. So who's the man that went justified before God? 
The person who came before humbly is the one that went home justified before God. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Now, the only thing that disappoints me is, you know what, where it says, for, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, wouldn't you like to be there to see that? You know, like, like there's some people that you know, like wouldn't you like, this, wouldn't you like to be there to see that? Now, the problem with that thinking is, man, how often do I deserve it? Okay, how often am I the one that deserves to be humbled? And I would hate for you all to see that. Okay, I would hate for you all to be there for that. But this idea, the, uh, the idea of God taking down the arrogant and lifting up the humble, that's all throughout Scripture. Paul in Philippians chapter 2 tells us that we are to have the mind of Christ, that we are to think like Christ did. And then he goes on to tell us that Jesus went to the cross. He went obediently to the cross. So he, we are to have the mind like Christ and Jesus, his response and his humility of not holding on to everything but letting go was dying. But then in verses 9 through 11, Paul once again comes back to this idea, the idea that once Jesus, when Jesus humbled himself, he was lifted up and he was exalted. All right? And so for us today, here's what it comes down to. We need to make sure that we're working on the pride in our lives. We all struggle. That We all have a battle of it. We're all going to struggle. But we need to be working hard to get rid of it. Uh, I, I found this, this on, a, on a website called the C.S. Lewis Institute. I, I, C.S. Lewis was such a wise man. But he says, how do we gain the mind of Christ and humble ourselves? To put on the mind of Christ, we'll need to take a, make a firm decision to ponder, to understand, and adopt Jesus' way of thinking. Do you understand what he's saying there? It isn't just enough to ponder it. It isn't just enough to understand Jesus' way of thinking. But he says to ponder it, understand, and adopt it. Do you see the difference there? Like it isn't just, okay, I understand it, but then we have to actually adopt it. We have to do it. We have to be obedient to Jesus' way of thinking. His values and attitudes must become ours. His strong emphasis on humility and meekness, an example of it, must take hold of our thinking, our desires, and our conduct. We must admire his humility and want it for ourselves. For this to happen, we need to earnestly and regularly pray for the Holy Spirit to change our hearts. For it's impossible to do it in our own strength. We'll also need to understand what Jesus meant when he called men and women to humble themselves. And it says, we discover from the Greek word Jesus and the apostles used to pinos, which conveys the idea of having a right view of ourselves before God and others. So being humble isn't thinking badly about yourself. It's not thinking, oh, I'm a lousy person. I'm less than everybody else. That's not what humility is. Humility is thinking of yourself appropriately, the way God looks at you and thinks of you. It says, if pride is an exalted sense of who we are in relation to God and others, humility is having a realistic sense of who we are before God and others. We must not think too highly or too lowly of ourselves. Rather, we must be honest and realistic about who and what we are. And so my encouragement as I wrap up is this. James 4, verse 6, and this is repeated in the Bible, says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. And so my encouragement to you is to strive after humility. And so how do we do that? We read it in there. Pray for help. Okay, first thing we need to do is we need to pray for God's help in this battle over pride and this battle for humility. Secondly, we need to find accountability. We need to have, put, have people in our lives that can hold us accountable when we are not being humble. We need people that can put us in our place 
when we're being arrogant and prideful. Find those people. Find those people you can trust like that. Thirdly, we need to be thinking about what would Jesus do, okay? How radical would that be for a lot of people if they just simply actually thought about in situations, what would Jesus do right now, okay? So we need to pray for help, find accountability. What would Jesus do? And then lastly, when we have all those things, we need to just obey. We need to obey. We need to do what Jesus would want us to do. All right, let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the challenges that we have in it. Um, Lord, I pray, Lord, as each one of us has a battle each and every day with this subject of pride, with the struggle of pride. Lord, I thank you for the power that your word has, that you hate pride, that you detest the prideful. And so, Lord, I pray that that would not be us. Lord, I pray you would help us to humble ourselves. Lord, that when we find ourselves in situations when we are putting ourselves on the throne, that you would help us to just kick ourselves off and put you on there and leave you there for good. Uh, Father, thank you so much. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit us at wvcch.org or you can join us live in one of our Sunday services. Have a great day. Tender mercies and your love that you've always shown me. You forget all my rebellion.